Sure is great to be together with all of you, the Journey Church community, and how about that sunshine? <sighs> yes, isn't that fantastic? Uh, just in case you're wondering, the rain yesterday, that was my fault, because on Friday night, I, uh, I, I had both of my cars washed. So uh, it was me, my bad, sorry, won't do that again. Uh, hi to you out at the bridge in Glendive as well. Nice to see you. Hope it's a bright sunny day in Glendive. It always is in Glendive, isn't it? Never windy, rainy, snowy, any of that. If you're a guest, we're sure delighted to have you here with us. This is a, a bit of an unusual message today because this is the last weekend that I'll be speaking to you from this stage for a bit of a season. Starting tomorrow, that's April 19th, running through late August, it's about 20 weeks or so. I will not be leading around journey the same way as I have been for the last uh, close to five years now. Our council and our senior leadership team around here has invited me and my family to put down the day-to-day -day operational leadership of Journey for these roughly 20 weeks and focus on gearing up, preparing, uh, learning for the next season of ministry, which we believe begins uh, the weekend after Labor Day in September. And we're tearing a page out of the medical and academic and marketplace model, being very, very intentional about some new learnings that our whole organization needs to engage in to best equip us for what we think God has around the next corners and over the next horizon for us as a church community. I'd invite you, if you have a Bible, uh, turn it to John chapter 8 and just sort of stick your finger in there. We're going to sort of take a meandering route to get to John chapter 8. And if you were here last week, you know that I invited you to jot down some questions regarding this season, and unfortunately, I can't answer all of the ones that you ask. Some of them I don't even want to answer. Uh, no hard feelings, of course, but I did want to answer the most common ones because there were some consistent themes to your questions. Uh, let's start with this one. The uh, first one is this. Will you continue to preach on the weekends? And if you're not, well, then who is? That's a great question, and the answer is a very short one. It's no. I won't be speaking on the weekends for the next 20 uh, you will see me around, though. You will, from time to time, see me on the screens talking about what I'm doing, who I'm with, where I'm learning, what I'm thinking about, but I will not be preaching on the weekends, and that's very intentional uh, on our leadership's part for the sake of opening up some hours in my week for other learning during this season of time. Now, I'm sure lots of you are unaware that it takes me about 30 hours, sometimes a bit more, but 30 hours every week to put a message together, a typical message. Now, save the snide comments like, could have fooled me. Like, just uh, hang on to those, if you would. That's just what it takes me. Now, that's about half of my typical work week, just on message preparation. And I want you to know that those are heavy and they're intense hours for which the emotional burden extends into every other hour of my week. On a week when I'm preaching, I carry a pit in my gut. It starts on Monday morning, ends on Sunday at about one o'clock because of the weight and the load of communicating what I think I hear God wanting to say to us. The preaching task for me is an all-encompassing deal. It overshadows almost every other thing I do, including my role as a husband and as a dad and son and brother, pastor, leader, and on and on. Putting that preaching role down for a season of time is very healthy for my soul. It's very healthy for my family. And it's also very healthy for us as an entire church community to hear from some of our other very gifted staff who are your pastors as well. I am not your only pastor. You have a whole team of pastors around here and it is healthy for us to hear and learn uh, and grow under their leadership as well. 
So the follow-up question then, all right, who's going to speak when you're not? And the answer to that is lots of people, actually. You'll have a chance to hear from our chief strategy officer, Derry Long. Uh, he's on next weekend for, uh, for the next two, actually. Our pastor of student ministries, Chris Townley, will be on. Bob Schwan, he's on our council, leads Campus Crusade for Christ ministry here on the MSU campus. Sam Summers, pastor of spiritual formation, he's on. Michelle Oakland, she'll be on. She's actually got a couple of weekends coming up. She leads our discipleship department around here. Uh, Mother's Day is going to be a fantastic weekend as a couple of our stalwart moms, a gal named Sandy Freed who leads our women's ministry here, and then Tara Bradford, who is my executive assistant and also leads our adoption ministry here. They're going to be talking to us about the role of a mom. Uh, Father's Day is going to be a fantastic weekend as well. We've got Coach Dale Brown coming to be with us, and uh, Coach Brown coached LSU for quite a run. He's the guy who recruited and coached a maybe slightly well-known uh, NBA player, a little guy named Shaquille O'Neal. And that'll be fantastic to have him. I've asked Brandon Edwards, our pastor of worship and the arts around here, to craft an entire weekend experience around helping us learn how to worship God musically. And that will be a ball. Pastor Steve Strutz, who is my boss, he's the overseer of our denominations, 28 or whatever the number is, 29 churches in Montana, Wyoming, and North Dakota. He's going to be here for a weekend, and Steve has been my pastor since I was in eighth grade. That means he has great stories to tell on me. I'm sure you'll love Steve. You're also going to hear from some other members of our staff team in a message entitled, While Brian's Away, the Staff Wants to Say. And that'll be something and uh, I'm going to be sitting right there for that message. And so I want you to hear in all of that that there's a fantastic slate of pastors and leaders who will, to a person, ensure that everything that happens in here on a weekend will thrive and prosper and challenge and invite all of us, me included, to new steps of faith in our relationship with God. Some of you want to know, next question, if I'll be around Bozeman during the season, and the answer is yes, almost the entire time I will be. I do have a bit of traveling to do in the earlier piece of the leave for the research portion of what I'm doing, visiting a few churches around the country. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But uh, this is home. I really like it here. I want to be here as much as I can be. And besides, Dana, my wife, will not let me leave her home alone with seven children for very long. <laughs> right? That means that you will see me around here on weekends. And uh, when you see me, though, on a weekend, I'll just be showing up kind of like you do, to worship and learn and be challenged and to be with the community of God, just like you do week in and week out. Now, some of you asked about the church communities. Where are you going? What church campuses are you going to hang out with? What leaders are you going to hang out with? That's a great question. And it all starts not just with what are some cool churches that I can visit, but it starts with our thinking as a team around here about what we think we need to learn to help facilitate journeys further development. And over the past 12 months, I've been sketching out some of the things that I think we as a community of faith need to develop in, and here's some things I, I put down. I need to expand my own personal leadership skill set. Uh, I have much to learn in the area of leadership. I do not have this leadership deal figured out. So I need to learn and grow and be challenged. And one of the ways that does that well for me is to get around what I like to call big dog leaders. Guys who have gone out ahead, leaders who have led out ahead for longer seasons of time and just sort of sit at their feet and learn. Uh, next one would be sharpening my preaching and preparation skills. I don't have this figured out deal either. I want to get better at the preaching, teaching, preparation deal. 
I also want us as a church to get better at implementing the arts into our church community. We highly value the arts, and so I want to get around some communities that are doing that very well. I think we need to improve our culture of volunteer mobilization around here. I think we need to get better in the areas of discipleship, actually helping people progress along a spiritual growth continuum. And a spiritual growth continuum is not just a 101, 201, 301, 401 class that you attend and then you graduate at the end of the 401 and go, sweet, I am a disciple now. We don't think spiritual growth actually works that way. It's much more fluid, and I want to get around some communities that are doing that well. We need to get better at creating belonging, ownership, what we call closing the back door, and assimilation around here. I want us to develop into a more generous culture. We serve and follow and love a generous God, and I want us as a community to mirror that generosity in every way. Organizational structures and dynamics for continued growth. I want to get around some communities that have traveled the road that we're on and avoid the pitfalls that they fell into because we're able to learn from them. We don't have to steer into the same stuff they did that was bad. We can learn from what they did wrong and what they have done right. And the last one is uh, press into the multi-site and multi-campus ministry. We're doing a bit of that now with uh, the bridge out in Glendive, and there seems to be furthering opportunity for us in this region to leverage that medium to reach more people for Jesus Christ. Livingston keeps coming onto the radar screen. Like, could we start a campus over the hill in Livingston eventually? And what might that look like? So I want to get around some places, some communities that are doing that very well. So I took that list, and that's quite a list of things we need to get better at, right? So I took that list, and then I made a list of churches that I know of who are at the top of their game in those areas, and then sort of whittled that down to the churches that I thought would be amenable to a visit. Not very many churches actually sort of throw open their doors and say, come be a fly on our wall with us. Uh, uh, we're not very good at that as the capital C church, by the way, but I know of a few who are, and that meshed up with our list, and so here's what that looks like. I'll spend a week out in Chicago at Willow Creek Community Church, pressing into those areas of development for us, with some of their senior leaders and such, just learning from them. Dan and I will spend about a week in Southern California at several churches, actually, working on those same skill set, a community called Mosaic, a community called Cornerstone, and a community called Mariners. There might be another one that we add into there, but that's still in the works. Dana will also, just ahead of the Southern California trip, Dana will also be with me uh, for a week at the New Hope Church community, which is in the most unfortunate place of Honolulu uh, for more of the same learning from Wayne Cordero out there. They have 25 multi-site campuses in a relatively small geographic area, and we have much to learn about that. Then there are a couple of churches in the southeastern United States, a, a community called Seacoast and a community called New Spring that we're working on getting into as well. And I want you to come along with us in this learning. Uh, starting in the next couple of weeks, I'll be blogging on the Journey website about where I am, who I'm with, what I'm learning, some of the application I see for us right here in Bozeman and the Gallatin Valley. So follow that blog. It'll be right on the Journey website. You can follow my Twitter feed, Brian Hopkins MT, if you'd like to, and then that'll feed over to the Facebook thing as well. And it's just a way for all of us together as a community to come along in that learning and actually for us to begin to implement some of those things in our own lives 
uh, before they sort of uh, go here to the whole community. Some of you ask the question, all right, so you're gonna go learn all these new things. How does that learning come back here and become part of who we are? And what I want you to hear is I'm not just traveling to these churches to rip off their programs, bring them back here and say, sweet, isn't this cool? It's not about that at all. It's about learning what people are doing well, how we can get better in some areas that we need to get better, and then metabolizing that learning and saying, okay, Lord, what does the application of that look like for us? How do we make that ours? Because we're, we're not New Hope and we are not Willow and we are not, we're not even trying to be those places. We're trying to be the best expression of us right here. And so all along the way, I'll be writing about the things I'm seeing, doing, thinking about, and then I'll also be seeking to build bridges of application for us. What does God want us to be doing with this? And all that writing, hopefully it's a stack of writing, it'll come back to our management team here, which is our team of pastors, and our council, uh, for them to digest and process and metabolize right along with me. We'll then take all of that stuff and we'll say, okay, Lord, as we pray and think and stir on, what does it look like for us to implement this stuff into our community right here? So there's that piece. Then lots and lots and lots of you ask this question. How can we be praying for you during this season of time? And that is a most privileged question for us to answer. Thank you so much for even asking it. What a, what a joy that is, thank you. The first one is this, that Dana and our seven kids would feel their emotional bank accounts being filled up because of this season of special attention from me. In all honesty, Dana and our seven kids, they pay a very heavy price because of God's call on my life. Starting a church almost five years ago now from nothing is an emotionally and spiritually imbalanced activity. It just is. It's required long days and short nights, financial sacrifice, and lots and lots and lots of things vying for our time and attention. And I really want my wife and I want my kids to feel, yes, there is a cost certainly to dad's calling and what God's asked him to do and be a part of, but at the end of the day, there is benefit and there is reward as well. I want for as long as my wife and kids are alive, I want all of them to love the church. I want them to love God's work in the church. I do not want my wife and kids to be like one pastor's family I know of who upon the pastor, the dad's death, the family, wife, and a bunch of kids gathered on his grave and urinated on it because that was the view they held of him and the church because of the demands and rigors of professional ministry. I don't want that to be true of my family. So would you pray, please, that my wife and kids would feel their emotional bank accounts being filled up because of this season of special attention. And number two, uh, this is a little selfish, but you asked, so I'm just gonna give it to you. Would you please pray that our house would sell? It would be fantastic that we could get our family moved. Uh, you could buy it even, maybe, if you <laughs> wanted to. Open house today, one o'clock, just go right over there. We're fine, we're not complaining, but nine people in that house, it, it's just wearing a wee bit thin, in all honesty. Uh, so, thank you for that. There's one more thing, but it's coming a little later. Hang on for that one. Some of you, and I'm really sorry that you had to even ask this question, some of you wanted, and this represents uh, church baggage that you bring with you, and I'm sorry about church baggage. Some of you wanted to know, is this quote leave, uh, and I quote, is it an underhanded way of getting rid of Brian? 
right? That represents to me that some of you have been in a place where leadership and church health wasn't healthy at all. And so I'm really sorry about that. And I'll answer your question very directly. Absolutely not. Not a chance. Okay? Nothing underhanded, sneaky, no sidebar stuff going on that you don't know about. Unless I die, which I'm not planning on doing, I'm coming back in late August. Okay? There were some questions um, asking whether or not this was the best use of the time uh, that you pay me for. Whether or not this was the best use of God's resources. Uh, the best use of your giving dollars. Uh, and I think that very question is rooted in a fundamental misunderstanding of what this season of time is about, really. This, I want you to get, is not just about paid time off from my job. Yes, there's absolutely some time off built into these next 20 weeks, but I also want you to know that I'm working really hard during this time for you, for us as a church. Uh, the leave starts tomorrow, yes, but I will, even this week, be very much in gear working on turning our general fund giving around uh, our trajectory uh, around. Uh, it is not in a good way at this moment. I huddled with some of our management team this week and we're having very hard and very unpleasant conversations right now. And so you'll be hearing from me and some of you are going to be seeing me around that issue literally over the length of the leave. I can't just take off that hat and put it down and say, well, that'll fix itself because it's not and it won't. So I'll be giving very intentional time uh, and attention to that. I'll be very much in gear even this week, again, working on serving the Barr family as we prepare for Todd's memorial gathering this coming Saturday, uh, to which you are all invited as we honor and celebrate Todd Barr's life. Uh, there is ongoing work, for example, related to our occupancy of phase one in September, uh, that campus that we're building right now that's under construction. Uh, just a little update on that, by the way, they're fixing, uh, there's a southern word for you, fixing to put the roof on the worship center, which is the room kind of like this. You could go out there and see it. Uh, and it's coming together really well, and it looks like we're ahead of schedule. It looks like we're under budget at this time. Uh, and you could also think about ways that you could serve out there on that project. There's a lot of work to do in the next month. We'll probably have a giant sheetrock and siding day. Won't that be fun? Uh, and we'll all, as many of us as can, go out there and just put a bunch of work on sheetrocking and siding. And uh, every time we do that, folks, that just drives the cost of that facility down, volunteer hours and such. So think about investing there and then celebrate what God's doing out there. It's really cool. You can watch the progress uh, on the live construction cam on the website as well. Uh, I'm in gear on all of that. There's decisions to be made. What color should the carpet be? And uh, I won't be making that decision, but I'll be in on the decision. And then this coming fall, we have a capital campaign coming. We'll have a house payment starting the weekend after Labor Day when we move into that building that we'll need to fund, as well as we'll need to continue to develop that campus, that community center, for the full benefit of the entire Gallatin Valley community. Remember, we're building this thing to give it away, basically. We're building this thing to serve the community out there, and so we'll be working on that, outlining, casting vision for what the new endeavors are that are coming on that campus. We're going to name the campus as well, and we're asking for your participation in that with us, and uh, the manager team and such will be digesting all of the naming material that you're uh, turning in. I'll be mapping out messages and message series from September uh, through at least January, probably beyond just that. 
And that doesn't include the weeks of travel, research, meetings, writing, thinking, praying, listening, processing, all the research and development that I'm working with us, for us, over the course of the long haul. So it isn't just paid time off. I want you to understand that. What this leave is really about is freeing me up from the day-to-day operational leadership, allowing me to think long-range, long-term, planning, praying, thinking, listening. It's freeing me up to engage in needed paradigm shifts for the future health of our ministry and community that in the ordinary email, voicemail, hubbub, the, the tyranny of the urgent that you just can't get to, but we must. And I want to say this too. I've been around the church long enough to know that pastors, not just lead pastors, staff pastors as well, pastors of churches like ours take these kinds of leaves whether they were planning on it or not. They, they just do. Stuff happens, people hit the wall, stuff blows up. The difference, though, is in our case, we're making it intentional versus accidental, okay? And I want to explain it this way, which is to say it another way, which is to say it this way. Lots of you know that our daughter Bailey has type 1 diabetes. She was diagnosed when she was six years old back in December of 2008. Dana, being the very attentive mother that she is, she picked up on her symptoms likely within a few days of her becoming diabetic, took her in, and sure enough, uh, there it was, a blood glucose level over 400. Normal, uh, yours and mine, without diabetes is around 120. And as you might imagine, those early days of blood glucose checks every two hours, and uh, back then it was five insulin shots a day, now it's a a pump and sight changes and all that stuff, which is much better than the five insulin shots a day. I want to see a freak show. Come over to our house and watch me try to give Bailey a shot. Right? Good night. Learning about carb counting, basal bolus insulin dosing. Uh, here's a wild one. Getting up a couple of times a night to check her blood glucose level. And all of that is weird and not fun and not even to mention the fact that reality sort of sets in on you that your kid has a life-altering and life-threatening disease, right? And it's just, it is not fun at all. And so in the early days, one of the very first things that our doctor did was hook us up with uh, several of these. I think we have five or six of them laying around different places. Uh, It is called the Glucogen Emergency Kit for Low Blood Sugar. And what you have inside of this box when you open it up is this little vial. It has the glucogen powder in it. Uh, This is a hormone. It's secreted by the pancreas, and it raises blood glucose levels. It has the opposite effect. Insulin lowers, glucogen increases uh, blood glucose levels. And then inside of here also you have this little uh, syringe. It's filled with some liquid. I think it's just water. And if you need this deal, you pop the cap off here, you squirt the water into there, you shake it up real quick, you suck it out, and you're ready to go, ready to give this shot. And you're like, well, okay, why? What, hmm, What do you need that? for? What's the application for that? It's quite simple, really. If Bailey, or any diabetic for that matter, is ever unconscious because of hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, and is not able to eat or drink anything because, well, he or she is unconscious, you pull this kit out, you mix it up, and then you jab it in her to wake her up and keep her from dying, really. And I asked our doctor when he was talking about this deal with us, I said, okay, so let's say Bailey's out one day playing uh, somewhere and we you know, lose track of time and such and let's say her blood sugar goes low, she goes unconscious and she falls down in some field somewhere. How long can she survive in that state? He said, ah, that's the question I was hoping you would not ask because frankly, we don't know the answer to that question. 
We have no idea how long a per... Okay, I said. So the goal then, doctor, I said, is just not to ever have to get to this place, right? And he said, that's exactly right. Please, 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 whatever you do, do not let Bailey's diabetes get to a place where you have to use this. This is a scary deal. And so far, thank God, we've not had to do this. And so if you're not going to go here, if you're not going to do this, what do you have to do to keep from having to go there? Well, you do intense blood sugar management, right? Those of you who are diabetic, you, you know this. Intense blood sugar management, which is what we do with Bailey. And lots of times she's very intense. Sometimes we're trying to se settle down, Bailey. It will be okay. We, we got you. It's intense. She checks her blood glu glucose level about once every two hours around the clock. The late night ones, Dan or I, we set an alarm and we get up. We go into her room. We poke her finger and draw blood while she's sleeping. Lots of times I poke too hard, she tells me, and she <gasps> wakes up and, Dad, so sorry, sorry. Uh, make sure she's not high or make sure she's not too low. Yesterday morning, for example, the alarm woke me up around 3.30. I trudged up to Bailey's room, poked her finger. Her blood glucose level was 67. Now, with a 67 at 6 o'clock in the morning on a school day, I just let that ride. She's going to wake up in about 45 minutes or so, and she'd be fine for that long. But it's 3.30 in the morning. I know her propensity to want to sleep in. It's Saturday morning, right? So 67 was not going to get her by until 8 o'clock in the morning. So I trudged back downstairs to the kitchen, got a little smoothie, 15 carbs in one of those, poked a straw in it, went back up, woke her up enough, just enough, so that I could shove the straw in her mouth and say, here, drink this. She's quite adept, by the way, at drinking smoothies while half asleep. <laughs> Much better than I would be, I think. And with those 15 carbs, she's going to be good to go for a few hours now. But you only keep from using this by that kind of intense blood sugar management. You keep from having to use this by intensively managing day to day, hour to hour, moment by moment, your blood sugar levels. And here's the deal. I know way, way, way too many pastors who were forced into the kind of leave that I'm about to take because no one along the way was helping them do intensive spiritual, emotional leadership management on an ongoing basis. The day in, day out stuff, nobody was helping them like we have people around here helping me think about and do. And then one day that pastor, that leader, it's not just lead pastors, it's staff pastors, anybody involved in local church work, they wake up one day and they just can't take it anymore. They just hit the wall, they just unravel. Why? Because they've neglected the day-to-day -day spiritual, emotional leadership management and they pile up in a heap and then the church has to pull out red box kind of emergency measures and administer emergency spiritual emotional leadership management and it wasn't planned and it wasn't pretty and it was costly and it was scary for the churches and it was costly and scary for the pastors and leaders and it was costly and scary for their family as well. And I just want to say how incredibly grateful I am for a leadership culture that we're trying to create around here that is committed to a healthy culture regarding our spiritual health, our emotional health, and our leadership health so that we're not ever having to pull out red box kind of emergency measures to deal with stuff that could have and should have been better managed in the day-to-day -day over the long haul. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
Research and enrichment leaves are going to become a part of our staff culture around here. They will not begin and end with me. They will extend across our entire pastoral team over the long haul because we're committed to a healthy leadership culture, a healthy spiritual culture, a healthy staff culture, emotionally, spiritually, leadership-wise. They're just going to become part of who we are, part of what we're about as a church. We think it's right. We think it's good. We think it's healthy. And then there's this, and I want to wrap up here uh, because this is where all of this research and enrichment stuff lands for me. John 8, 28. Told you we'd get to it. John 8, 28. Here's what Jesus says. And here, just so you know, a little context for you. He's speaking to people who are far from God, who are doubting that he is the son of God, who don't believe in him. And here's what he says. When you have lifted up the son of man, that's him, right? When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am He. Meaning, I am who I've been telling you I am. And watch this. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. The words of Jesus Christ. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. Then if you've got a Bible, flip back to John chapter 5. This will be on the screens as well. Now, context for this one is Jesus is talking to religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day who were always on Jesus' case, weren't they? They're mad at him because he's healing on the Sabbath. They're mad at him because he's claiming to be the son of God. You blasphemer and such. And so he explains, again, the words of Christ, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. So do you get what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, I say only what I hear my Father saying, and I do only what I see my Father doing. And it's just true that both of those things take intentional and strategic and purposeful time away from and outside of the everyday grind that is life. To actually hear what God is saying and to actually do what God is doing takes stepping off of the treadmill that is normal life and giving ear and giving eye to God's teaching and his activity so that we can be saying and only be saying what he wants us to say and can be doing and only be doing the things that he wants us to be doing. Right? Now, there were some people last weekend who wrote... uh, questions. Actually, they were criticisms with a question mark at the end. And uh, they asked the question, uh, is this biblical? Is you stepping aside from the day-to-day operational leadership of this community biblical? Someone asked, related to the message from last week from Acts chapter 2, is this an Acts 2 model? To which the answer is absolutely yes. This is absolutely a biblical model. Let's just take Jesus Christ, for example. He came to earth as an infant, right? He grew up and he matured and the Bible tells us he was growing in wisdom and stature and when he was 30 years old, it was like a switch flipped and God says, okay, you're on, right? You're on. And by the way, son, you got three years, so get about it. That's all you got, three years. And in those three years, say only what I'm saying and do only what I'm doing. And so it's go time for Jesus Christ, right? It is the launch time for his public ministry. And Jesus, at go time, at launch time, he does a most interesting and most fascinating thing, right? He's got 1,095 days. 
The clock is ticking. God says it's go time. He's got 1,095 days, 365 times three, and Jesus knows it, and he's got 1,095 days to do what God's doing and say what he's saying, and just as it's go time, what does he do? You know what he did? He went out to the desert. Remember Matthew chapter four. He goes out to the desert, and he spends those 40 days alone with God. Right? Yes, you're right. The devil was there too. Satan was there too. But he went out there to be alone with God. 40 days. And he's only got 1,095 days. 40, 1,095. And we scratch our head. We go, wow, why in the world did he do that? It seems like really poor stewardship, doesn't it? He's only got 1,095 days. And you're like, come on. Come on, Jesus. You've had 30 years right? You've been laying in the weeds for 30 years now. You've been off the radar screen for 30 years. Now it's go time. It's time for you to be about the things that you were sent here to be about. And one of the first things you do is you run off to the desert to be alone with God. What is up with that? Well, what's up with that, I'll tell you, is that Jesus wanted to be absolutely and entirely and fully dialed in to what it was that God was saying and absolutely and entirely and fully dialed in to what it was that God was doing. He did not want to miss a thing related to the voice and related to the activity of God. And neither should we. Neither should we. And so here's what happens. We, uh, this is including me, we say, all right, that kind of uninterrupted time with God, hearing what it is that God is saying, discovering what it is that he is doing, we say, that is a total luxury for me. Because why? We all say it. Because I have so much going on. Right? We all say it. I, we, us have so much. And we start to list it all. All of this stuff I have going on. And God interrupts us mid-sentence, and he says, look, the very reason that you cannot afford to skip over the hearing what I'm saying and the doing of what I'm doing is that you have so much going on. It's the very reason you can't afford to miss this. Because in everything that you have going on, God says, you are only being redemptive. You're only being about the things that I've invited and called and challenged you to be about when you're saying only what I'm saying, and when you're doing, only what I'm doing. And if you're not, you're just flapping in the breeze if you're not that connected to the voice of God and to the activity of God. And that's all of us. And so as part of this research and enrichment leave over the course of the next 20 weeks, I'm gonna take that very, very seriously. And I'm gonna go, figuratively speaking, I'm gonna go crawl into a closet somewhere and I'm going to give my undivided attention to hearing what God is saying and looking for what he is doing, the result of which will be much of the direction, much of the activity, and much of the voice of this community called Journey Church in our next season of ministry. And that's the last way that I would ask you to pray for me and us, that I would be able to hear and discern the voice, to see and discern the activity of God in such a way that the application of his voice and his activity would be crystal clear for us as a church. And that isn't just me, that's all of us. And there are a lot of us right here, right now, who I sense God is challenging to do the exact same thing. And you're right, it probably won't look just the same, but the idea, the concept, 
the application is just the same, that we would all, every single one of us, crawl into a closet, figuratively speaking, and get alone with God and close our mouths and stop asking for stuff and listen and look. What, God, are you saying and what, God, are you doing? And then get about it. Get about saying what he's saying and get about doing what he's doing and nothing but, nothing but. And we go like, oh, okay, but why, 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 why do that? Because all of us, all of us want our lives and want our ministries to be marked by the same two realities that marked Jesus' life and ministry. That he said only what he heard his father saying and that he did only what he saw his father doing. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and just be still and quiet with the Lord if you would and press in with him on all of that. What does it look like for you to, figuratively speaking, crawl into the closet somewhere and say, God, what are you, what are you saying? Because I want to hear that from you. And God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because I want to be about that with you. I don't just want to be doing my thing, my little thing, and ask you to sort of bless my little thing. I just want to do what you're doing already. I want to join you in your activity. Yeah, but I'm too busy, we say. And God interrupts us mid-sentence where we're dumping out all the stuff that we've got going on. And he says, uh-uh, uh-uh. You're too busy not to do this. God, thank you so much for the example of your son, Jesus Christ. Who, though he was God, still didn't want to miss a thing. And to think that he carved out intentional, purposeful time regularly to get alone, to hear from you, to see what you're doing. And then he came back and he got about it. He said what you said only, and he joined you in your activity only, nothing else. And oh God, that that would be true for us as well. That those would be the hallmarks of our lives. That we wouldn't say anything but what you're saying. And that we wouldn't do anything but what you're doing. And that we would rest and be content in living in those two realities. A lot of things get a whole bunch simpler we're just walking out those realities.
God, the cool thing is that that's not just an end unto itself. To hear your voice and do what you're doing. The end game for us is that we know you more intimately and that we would make you known. That's why we care about hearing what it is you're saying so that we could say that to people who are living life far from you. People who, if Jesus came back right now, would spend forever apart from you and that wrenches us and we don't want that to be true of anyone, God. We want to hear from you and we want to see what you're doing because we want it to be real hard to go to hell from the Gallatin Valley. We want it to be real hard. And so God, may that be true of us, please. Compel us, drive us. Help us push the pause button on life regularly and crawl into the closet and say, God, what are you up to? And God, what are you saying? Because I don't want to be doing anything but that. I don't want to be saying anything but that. And we're going to close our time today by worshiping around music and then partaking in the sacrament of communion. And you can see we've got these communion stations set up around the room, four of them. The gluten-free one is back there by the guest central sign. And as the band is leading us, I'll just invite you, whenever you're ready, on your time, to get up and move out to one of those stations and partake. And I'd invite you to take a piece of bread, just like Jesus did, when he was gathered with his closest friends and followers in that upper room, and he broke off a piece of bread, and he said, this represents my body broken for you. And then he held up a cup, just like we've got here, and he said, here's the cup. It represents my blood that's going to be shed quite gruesomely for your forgiveness, for your redemption of all of humanity. And I invite you to dip the bread, representing the body, into the cup, representing the blood, and partake of the body and blood of Jesus Christ on your time when the Lord prompts you. And just so we all get this, this communion deal, it, it isn't for anybody who doesn't follow Jesus. This is our way of expressing to God our gratitude. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for taking my sin, my shame, my punishment, and paying the price for me. And the text also tells us not to enter into this time in an unworthy manner. And I invite you to bear that out, flesh that out, walk that out. That if you have anything outstanding with God, sin that is yet to be confessed, clean it up, use this time, just linger. Take as much time as you need to transact whatever business you need to do with God and then move out and take communion on your time. We've got lots of time, so feel free to linger. You don't have to rush through this. You and the Lord celebrate together.